Jano, 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 Sajana. This is your United States of America. Speak your mind. Cross the line now, say the truth. It is Friday, August 3rd, and it actually is Friday, August 3rd. We're recording the day of today. Thank you, Apple, for the new router. Uh, it, it is Friday, August 3rd, and you are tuned into Season 2, Episode 31 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com and presented by Hameen Media. On today's delayed episode, we've got your latest breaking news, your G1 update, and of course, all things red and blue. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks, email us at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. My name is Chargo. I will be your host for the day. I am joined, as always, alongside my tag team partner, the Hall to my Nash. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that R, the B to the V. Rick Vickery. Michael Jargo, yes, this is the Hitting the Books Pro Wrestling Podcast. You're just under a month away. We are officially on the road to Starcast and all in, brother. You know, we we, we should have known better because we, we tried to record this show yesterday and you were like, we are on the road to Starcast. And sure enough, we hit a speed bump as my router just magically died about 20 minutes into the recording. So we're going to do about 20 minutes worth of take two and then we're going to move on with the rest of the show. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, you know, we, you know, as excited as we are, that's fine. Like you said, it was just a delay. I'm, I'm going to put a positive spin on this thing. You know, we've had some, some breaking news happening uh, in between our original record time and now. And we kind of have an idea ourselves, you know, about this big month we have planned here going forward. You know, we're, we're going to be fully dedicated to building up to that big moment in Chicago where we take the floor on Pod Row. Uh, where we have that entire weekend to kind of just mingle and, and eat in the, in the mixers. All the awesomeness that's going to be happening there, we want to be built up with that. We want to have the biggest month we've ever had here on the Hitting Muck Pro Wrestling Podcast. The biggest month we've ever had over in the locker room. The biggest month we've had with our affiliation with One Wrestling. We're going to spread this across all of our platforms. We've got some big things planned up leading to the big event. And I guess the first and biggest thing, if you are hearing our voices for the very, very first time, welcome to the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. It is we are actually releasing this show on the Hameen Media feed for the very, very first time. So if you if you are new to this show and you enjoy this show, please hit us at hittingthemarks.podbean.com. Hit that subscribe button and, you, and you'll never miss one second of our bullshit. Well, I was going to say, you know, also, yeah, big thanks there to Ben Hameen who said, hey, guys, just go out, get yourselves over. This is going to be a great moment for you. Uh, what, what a tremendous rub that we're going to be experiencing from the Hameen Media Group. But, you know, also to, to Ryan K. Bowman over at the Gorilla Position, you know, he's working right now. He's using his pool, his contacts. He's working on getting us some big interviews that kind of tie into the all-in theme. This is going to be an exciting month. Yes, there are a couple of big interviews uh, in the works 
coming up over the course of the next month. But I guess uh, we're, we're going to start with a little bit of pro wrestling news, which, of course, you and I normally do in the locker room over at hackerhambean.podbean.com. But there has been so much news over the last couple of days that we, we had to get a couple of uh, little news and notes in here, or muse and notes, as we like to call them. Let's start off with Mayor Kane. Congratulations to Glenn Jacobs, the new mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. That's right. Donald Trump is your president and Kane is the last line of defense at Fort Knox. How does that make you feel, Huckleberry? Hey, you know, I've been out and about all, all this afternoon. Stop it here and there. And everyone kind of knows, you know, my tie-ins with the world of professional wrestling. I've had so many individuals, probably up now to over a dozen, that have approached me on this topic. But can you believe that, that Kane... The wrestler Kate is the mayor, and they almost want to kind of make a joke about it. My reply each and every time is with a straight, serious face, is that he is probably the realest motherfucker in politics. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the thing that's the most interesting here is let's talk a little bit about what if Kayfabe wasn't dead for the last 20 years? If Kayfabe had not been dead as hell for the last 20 years, do you think there is any chance in hell that we would have Mayor Kane walking around. I mean, the guy, he murdered his whole freaking family. He's, he's been fighting with his brother for years. He once lit his brother on fire. He's been known to murder people mindlessly. I can't believe that Kane is now a politician. Well, you know, I, I'm waiting for the hashtag me too to come after <laughs> Kane. <laughs> does that, does that apply to necrophilia? Is Katie on Twitter? I mean, is she going to be able to hit the masses here? But you know, just outside of Katie, think about everyone else that's kind of made the jump or how successful they've been, you know, outright uh, with public businesses. You know, Jesse Jesse Ventura. Uh, even right down to, hell, you know, over on, on the Hamid platform. When a guy like Stevie Richards, you know, have you know, been provided that avenue with all the success he's had with Stevie Richards Fitness. Well, and of course, we've seen Tyrus on Fox News. We've seen Dolph Ziggler make the branch over to Fox News. It makes a lot of sense, man. I mean, professional wrestlers know how to talk to people. That's literally their job is to get people to buy into their character. If anybody is fit to be a politician, it's a professional wrestler. Well, you know, let's even look at, you know, back in the day when Hogan was trying to make that jump into movies or when he saw... Uh oh! Now Rick's going robotic on me. As what's that? I said you went robotic on me there for a second. Oh, you know, just just think back even to like when Hogan tried making that transition to a movie star, or even like Andre in the movies, or, or Piper or Ventura back to the movies. You know, there was a little bit of that. Well, that's not the wrestler I see on television. I mean, would you have been able to see like a Rock reach the heights that he has today? So you know, that is a good question. You know, a, a positive spin on the the end of KFAM. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I like to believe that, you know, we're going to have a president drain the Rock Johnson one of these days. Uh, he was on uh, the Stephen Colbert show the other night and surely did not deny it. That's that's for sure. Congratulations to uh, Mayor Kane. Let's move on to uh, some news that uh, may be a bit more kayfabe, but it's still news. Let's let's go ahead and hit the music. As I said, the hall to my Nash, we are going to talk a little bit of N. W-O. That's an opportunity that I never thought that I would have on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, but here it is. The NWO has started to resurface. It seems that one Mr. Hulk Hogan is having some issues with his cell phone. It seems as though the NWO has hacked the Hulkster's cell phone. 
Huckleberry, what do you think? Do you think uh, Hulk Hogan may be uh, poised to make a return in the black and white? Yeah, I, I really, I chalk this up. I know this, this, you know, this brought up some great conversation over on Facebook and the Hami Media Discussion Group. And uh, everyone was there real quick to jump on board with, man, you know, what's this meeting? When he returns, when they bring it back to NWO, who would you like to see in this new NWO faction? What's going on here? I immediately jumped on. I'm chalking this up. This is Hogan working the masses, looking to drum up some interest so that when he goes to that final meeting of, okay, we've got you, Hawks, or we want to bring you back here, but what do we exactly do with you? This is Hawk playing business, man. He is one of the, the OGs of how you do business in the modern era of professional wrestling. You know what I think this is? I think you're right. I think this is all about business, but I think this is a little bit different business. We know when the WWE went over to Saudi Arabia a few months ago, one of the names that they wanted on the list was Hulk Hogan. Maybe they uh, failed to mention that the name that was actually on the list was Hollywood Hulk Hogan. This seems like this very well could just be for that Saudi Arabia, Australia, overseas audience. That would not surprise me at all. Well, and you do. And they have another one of those shows coming up later in 2018, correct? Yes. In November, I want to say. In November. Man, they are packing some shows late in this year, man. It's going to be a little bit overkill, but that's not the conversation we're having right now. Well, think about that, though, you know, because we know the Saudi Arabia audience, they're a little out of touch with the modern product. Yeah, they wanted some wrestlers that have been passed on for 20-plus years. Well, and I, I want to throw out there, if we actually have anyone in that region listening to us, uh, I want to give you fair warning. You are in for uh, a, a, a couple of just terrible years, probably beginning in around your time, uh, 2026, uh, when you get caught up to speed with us. Here. <laughs> this, this actually, I think you're, you're hitting the mark here perfectly, brother. No pun intended there, but yeah, it's if that's that's what they're asking for, it, and it's a it's a way instead of just bringing Hulkamania, it's a way to get other older stars that they're going to be familiar with and get some of his buddies a payday as well. I mean, that's a big chunk of change going over there. Wouldn't surprise me to see Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Sean Waltman. It wouldn't surprise me to see any of them show up at that Saudi Arabia show. Well, I, well, you know, uh, Xbox, he, he's been hitting social media pretty hard. He's advertising. There's a couple of, uh, you, uh, you know, of him, Hall and Nash. They're going to be working some conventions together. So they're already starting a circuit. So I guess, you know, that, that crown jewel to uh, to that little tour there would be to add the Hulkster in. Uh, and especially be able to take that overseas to, you know, such a big, in WWE's eyes, you know, such a, a great avenue, a great project, like what they've got going on in Saudi Arabia. But, but then again, but then again, you know, this might just be a, a huge midlife crisis for the Hawkster. You know, he's just trying to relive that last moment where he actually was relevant and cool. That very well could be, too. It doesn't sound like uh, the Hulkster is considered very relevant or cool from what I hear backstage at the WWE. It doesn't seem as though the Hulkster's apology went over uh, quite as well as, as the Hulkster would like you to believe. Well, I mean, how much backlash? I, mean, I know the tightest. What other issues were there? Oh, it's. I, I don't think that there is a lot of things that are being said publicly, but there are a lot of things that are being said off the record that Hogan is basically just out of touch, uh, that this is a, a very insincere apology, that this is, hey, you need to go say this. 
he doesn't actually feel that way. That seems to be the impression that I have heard from some of the people backstage. Well, you know, we, we each work in, we've each worked, you know, I'm, I'm still there, but I mean, you're still in entertainment and all that. We know how the PR world works there. Uh, I have plenty of times with my clients here, and that's why I, I like to control as much as I possibly can when we're handling, especially like just online complaint issues, because there's certain ways that you, or tactics that you employ when you're handling certain situations and you have so many people just want to fire off at the cuff, you know, maybe this wasn't really something true from Hogan's heart where this was something manufactured by his legal team or WWE, you know, the HR just to, let's just be as bland as we can here, get out the, the sediment and we'll move on from it. Well, and I think the other part of the problem is, you know, that Hogan deals with one person at the WWE and one person only. And there is also a feeling amongst the professional wrestling world that that one person may actually share more of the values with Hulk Hogan than he does not. Well, I will tell you this a little, a little perfect time for a plug here. I'll tell you one person that he will be dealing with Hulk Hogan directly September, uh, August 7th, correct? Would yes. be Bill Aptor over in the Aptor chat. Yeah, I'm looking forward uh, it, to that. It, uh, I, I guess it's, you know, they're pitching it as, as a new show, but I guess it's kind of a, a relaunch of the Aptor chats that we've had before. Uh, but they're, you know, they're, they're kind of up in the game. We're going to have all new format and all that. And they're coming strong out of the gate. Uh, could you imagine how cool it would be? You know, when we're sitting here, we, we're overly hyped to go to start casting all in, which is a tremendous honor for us. Uh, but, you know, one Mr. Bill Aptor, who we are fortunate enough to, to have an associate or uh, work for, however you want to you know, put it out there over at OneWrestling.com on One Wrestling Video where we both contribute each and every week. He just picks up the phone and calls Hawk Hogan. Yeah. And he used to be able to do the same for Bruno San Martino. He can call Larry Zabisco. There's anyone in this business. I mean, they're on his Rolodex. Mr. Aptor's got it like that. And he has well-deserved and well-earned. And I, and I do say Rolodex because my understanding, he is so old school that he probably still has that Rolodex sitting on his desk. As well he should. Let's, uh, let's move on to a couple other social media issues that, that kind of tie in together here. We have a couple more social media issues and a couple more apologies. Of course, uh, this news is broken over the last week or so. Ty Dillinger and Cedric Alexander are uh, getting raped, pardon the pun, on Twitter. Uh, Cedric Alexander, this, this tweet comes to us from February 26, 2012. He, he points out on Twitter, it's not rape if you yell surprise. And then we had Ty Dillinger on May 12th of 2011 putting out there, it's not rape if they're sleeping. Now, both of these gentlemen have issued very, very good apologies and damn the Twitter trolls for, for actually going back through about six to seven years worth of tweets to find this shit. But Rick, th there's a bigger issue here. And the bigger issue here is, ladies and gentlemen, there is, there, this is a public service announcement. If you go into the settings on Twitter and you are signing a new contract with a multi-billion dollar company, I suggest that you go into the settings on Twitter and you hit delete all tweets. Just delete the shit. There's none of it that's worth this. You know the trolls are out there. You know they're digging through everybody's stuff at this point. If you know that you have said stuff over the, even if it was six, seven years ago, just delete all tweets. There's, there's absolutely no practical application where putting out on Twitter, it's not rape if you yell surprise, is okay in a 2018 context. Just delete the shit. What is so hard about this, Rick? Why do we keep running into this issue? 
I mean, here, it, you know, like as you bring it up, you know, this just isn't something that's happening in professional wrestling. This is sweeping across all of sports and entertainment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, look at what happened with James Gunn. But who was he? He's the director of Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what? I think his was a little different situation. Uh, Not you really. Go off, you know, there, uh, I, I think there's a little difference between a, a rape joke, uh, just one or two rape jokes, and then firing off about 20 comments about having sex with children. I understand that. But inside context, at that time, James Gunn was doing shock humor. Could you imagine what the Twitter trolls would say about George fucking Carlin today? Oh, I got it. It wouldn't exist here. I mean, you know, you just look at, you know, just Roseanne. You know, she just lost a multi-million dollar empire because of this thing. Yep. It's happening in every form of entertainment. It's happening in public offices. It's happening in politics. And it's absurd. Well, it, it, I think you are right, though. It, you know, just the smart thing to do is just make sure you're deleting. Uh, but, uh, you know, a huge part of me, uh, up to the point, you're right. Uh, I am almost, I am so properly, I, it just, my stomach drops out, it makes me feel so sick that these people are, are dictating the way our society is moving. Uh, like I said, completely sickening. We, at some point, you need to stand up and make a stand. So like you said, if we look at the context of something that it's written in, instead of just the words say, you can, you can twist and tell different stories. You have to go to the core. What was behind the meaning behind the text? Where the person was like, where they're at? Hey, I grew up in Cincinnati. West side of Cincinnati, there is a great divide. There is huge racial tension everywhere. Any given day, you know, you go back five, six years ago, very, very common. You want to, there's racial slurs being dropped from all sides, and people don't get along. And if they think that you, the biggest issue here is the more that it, this is brought into a negative light, or they set the divide where you should treat you should treat people like this because blah blah blah, or they have these rights. You're creating a bigger wedge there. You're making people despise one another more instead of bringing real issues to the front and taking them head on and looking for real resolution. Yep. Very much agreed. Very well said. Even though you went a little bit robotic there at the beginning, I think everybody gets the point. I'm waiting for Skype to catch up here because we have an obvious delay. Uh, I apologize. No, it ain't your fault, man. Shit happens. I mean, for God's sake, my router died yesterday. Let's move on to uh, a, a little bit of NXT news. Before we jump into uh, Red and Blue, because this one's uh, pretty important. Uh, Rick, it seems as though Alistair Black was injured over the course of the weekend. How this slipped under our radar until yesterday is completely beyond me. It even sounds like Alistair is going to have to have surgery. Now, it sounds like, and I really wish that I could see video of this, Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada, Tommaso Ciampa, quote, crotched. Alistair Black. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means. If that means a low blow, if this is where you get knocked on the top rope and you end up, you know, straddling the top rope, there's a million things that crotched could possibly mean inside of a pro wrestling context. But it sounds like Alistair Black was seriously injured and he's going to have to have surgery. And now the main event of TakeOver Brooklyn is a little bit in question. Yeah, you know, big. Broke, uh, yeah, I, think, I don't even think you say how we missed it. I don't think it even like got leaked out till yesterday afternoon. 
I saw it after uh, kind of our our original cord kind of went down, you know, down the shitter. Uh, I, I went right over to Hami Media Discussion Group and saw that the story was there. But in my initial thought, was, this has got to be a work. Uh, then you kind of read into it, you know, what does the crotch actually mean? But to, now surgery? I mean, you got to be talking, was it like a ruptured nut? And, yeah. and people were feeling and people were feeling sorry for Eddie Edwards. <laughs> right. Uh, I remember. And I was telling you this story last night. You know, you know maybe this is uh, maybe this is, is Chopper's way of just trying to one up. Sandy Callahan is the best deal in the business. <laughs> He's doing a bang up job. Chomp is getting an insane amount of heat down there at full suit. Right, yeah, you, you, you break a guy's face with a baseball bat. Well, I'm just going to go literally start busting nuts. <laughs> I, I was telling you this story last night when I was in high school. My uh, my high school quarterback number five Wyatt Hyvert, we were we were in practice one day and and Wyatt got hit a little bit low in practice. Now of course Wyatt was wearing a cup, but still, you feel that, and and Wyatt felt it, and Wyatt was in a lot of freaking pain, and we were like, dude, you got hit in the dick. Like, come on, it's not that bad. It turned out it was actually that bad. Uh, evidently, there is a condition that can happen where uh, basically the tubes that run from your, your kidneys to your balls, if you get hit too hard in just the right way, those tubes can actually get twisted together. Now, imagine getting kicked in the dick permanently. That's basically what Wyatt Hyvert was going through. And I wonder if that's what Tommaso Ciampa did to Alistair Black here and Alistair Black's nuts literally got tied up. Wyatt was rushed in for emergency surgery. He did not miss a football game. It was a, a very invasive surgery, but they, they had to untie his nuts. Wow. Wow, dude, what, what a story. But it, it kind of makes me chuckle. I, I didn't know we were going to go in this direction, talking old high school football stories and, uh, I, I guess, crotch stories, subcategory. Remember my senior year? We're out at two-a-days, and you, you know how brutal those are. Fuck yeah. Uh, especially here in the Midwest, man. Two-a-days, you're usually out there. The humidity is you know off the charts. It's already 95 to 100. The heat index is pushing it to 115, 117. Uh, it's complete misery. Yeah, playing football in a swamp, basically. So we're we're out there in an afternoon session. And it, I, I, you know, I, I'm talking about how bad it is. I hit it easy. I, I was a, a pampered wide receiver. You know, we'd go do a little drill. We'd run a couple routes, and we'd uh, we'd prance our way over to the water line, mm-hmm. and we'd have a little splash fight over there. You know. Then we'd go back over and, you know, play a little grab dick and run a couple more routes. You know, we were the, we were the pamper crew. We, we very much were, uh, the, the, oh, I, I can't, I guess we're the flamboyant, you know, you would be a wide receiver. You would. I, I was very, very good too, uh-huh. but very, very good. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I remember uh, he was a good friend of mine. He ran around in the circles. I ran in, uh, Randy Schneider. He's a defensive end. And you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy, six four. Uh, in high school, I was, well, I, I think in high school I was six three and a half, one eighty six. You've put on some weight since high school, Huckleberry. Uh, you know what? I'm almost back down to that. I'm, I'm under the two hundred mark now. I couldn't even. I, I can compete on two hundred five now. At a boy. Uh, and also, Jargo, that was uh, twenty fucking years ago. <laughs> <laughs> My, my, my 20th reunion coming up here in a couple of weeks. But anyway, Rand Schneider defense is that big old guy, man. Six, five, six, 
Skype didn't want to hear your bullshit either. No, no body fat on him, man. A beast in the gym. So it, he gets there's a sweeper to one side. He falls to the bottom of the uh, tackling pile. And he, I guess he gets stepped on, and I stepped right on his crotch. Oh, and he is continuing to complain the rest of the two, rest of the afternoon session. And, and you know how it is back then. You know we're talking late nineties. This is before we knew about dehydration and concussions and you know all all that things now that the PC police are on. And so you start complaining. It was because you're being a, for lack of a better term, you're being a pussy. Yep. you got to stay out. you got to stay out there on the field no matter what. So he's, I mean, he's like, every time he's off the field, he is like just dropping over. He's in fetal position on the sideline. Obviously hurt. Right, coaches? Schneider, defense is all. Get back in there. Get up, pussy. So he's out there. He finishes the two of them. Or finishes out that session. Finishes the day. We get in the locker room, and he's one of the first guys in there. And he just lays down on the bench in front of the lockers. And he, he, at this point, he can't take it anymore. He is just crying. So he needs some help. Take it off. Take it off his, his pants. So a couple guys pull him down for him as he's laying there on that bench. I swear to God, I, it ruptured one of his nuts. His entire sack swelled up to the size of a football. Jesus it was Christ. one. It was one of the most terrifying, disgusting, and hilarious things that I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh my Man. god! It. Oh my you, god! You look it. at life a little bit differently after experiencing a visual like that. Oh, uh, it but, but you know, yeah, in high school, man, we're all such assholes. We don't really care. We're just sitting there laughing. <laughs> yeah, you got that one pricker in the corner trying to shoot rubber bands at it or whatever. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. See, see, we're we're much more relaxed on the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast. If you're just used to hearing us in the locker room, so I, I, I well, I am a little curious. Right? Just real quick, just real quick, for me, it surprises me that you played high school football. Why does that surprise you? I, I don't. You just don't strike me as the athletic type guy. You would be surprised. You would, until I fucked up my knee my sophomore year. I actually played just about every sport. What was uh, what position were you? Corner. Dude, I would have fucking ate your fucking lunch. Yep, that's cute that you think that. Rick, let's uh, let's move on dude, to. Right, a- hey, you know, hey, we're, we're gonna we're gonna find out here tomorrow at at Starcast and all in, dude. I, I you know what's you funny wouldn't... is uh, my best friend in high school, God rest his soul, Randy Olson. Uh, he was just about your size. He in high school he was about six three, and he ran right around that one eighty five to one ninety mark. And my best friend in the freaking world, but that poor bastard was a wide receiver and I was a corner and boy, did we have some fun on the football field and there was nothing I enjoyed more in this world than knocking that motherfucker on his ass. See, it wouldn't happen. I I was, uh, one of my little monikers, I was an extended lineman. I was going to go handle the linebackers that were, uh, about six, five, you know, uh, two fifteen. uh, no problem. And if I did have an issue, they better keep their head on a swivel because they were getting a uh, a five dollar ear hole. Six five two fifteen, man. You would have been a big motherfucker in my conference because I went to a small school. We didn't have we didn't have a whole lot of guys that were six five two fifteen. Well, I, I was gonna say you got to remember. I, I played here. You know, Ohio is a is a huge uh, football state, uh, and I played Division One here, which is the highest division. Speaking of people getting completely screwed over, uh, let's move on to uh, SummerSlam. Let's talk a little bit of SummerSlam. So, Huckleberry, I guess the, the place to start off is... I was trying to prolong it as long as I could. <laughs> I know, I know. Let's. I, I guess the place to start is Brock Lesnar 
and Roman Reigns and what they did this Monday on Raw to get Roman Reigns cheered. Rick, what do you what do you make of this entire Paul Heyman situation with Brock Lesnar going after Paul Heyman? Brock Lesnar doesn't watch the show. Brock Lesnar doesn't give a shit about the WWE Universe. Almost seemed like a babyface turn to me for Brock Lesnar because if Brock Lesnar doesn't watch the show, why in the fuck should I? You know, that that's what I, I really kind of find humorous about this thing. It, it makes sense. You know, you could see where they're coming from. Let's put Brock in a position where he just seems like he's blowing everything off. He's just, hey, he has to be there because of his contract, but he doesn't got to participate. They go another way to say he's not even going to watch the show. They, they, how many times did they mention that during up throughout the program? Yeah, they, they went out of their way to make sure that you knew that Brock Lesnar does not watch Monday Night Raw. Which is okay, because Shane McMahon doesn't watch Monday Night Raw either. Brock Lesnar could be the new general manager of SmackDown. Hey, it would make sense because he shows up about as much as Shane McMahon nowadays. But I'd pay 999 yen to see Brock Lesnar as the authority figure on SmackDown. Uh, now that you kind of just throw that out there, and I know you just you threw it out there just kind of jokingly at first, I absolutely love this idea. I would love to see that. Oh, I would love to see that. I would like to see it like work his way up where he starts at like 205. Oh yes. Brock Lesnar is the GM of 205 live. The constable of 205 live. Everything Rockstar Spud wants to do has to go through Brock Lesnar. Oh, that'd be fantastic television. You know what? And Spud is so good. Could you imagine the gold they would come up with? Oh, it would be fantastic. Oh, I would love to see that. Uh, Snibbly little Rockstar Spud. They're sitting, there's 12 to, what, 50 of them sitting around in the creative office, and none of them are even coming up with anything half as good as what we're coming up with here at Happy Hour. Oh, and this was actually better than Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns this week. I I did not like the Roman Reigns promo. The Brock Lesnar thing was hilarious, but does it really do anything? It seems so heavy-handed, like they're showing their cards trying to plant these seeds that Paul Heyman's going to turn on Brock Lesnar. Well, you know, going back to your original point there, it's always funny, you know, like it makes sense what they're trying to do. He doesn't care about the show. He doesn't care about you. You're the diehards that are here with us every week. But it kind of backfires because it's almost like, man, we wish we could have Brock's attitude. Yeah, it's the first time I've related to Brock Lesnar in years. And, and, you know, and actually, uh, I'm glad to have these commitments. I'm glad to have this job, you know, where we get to come out here a couple times a week. You know, we're, we're each on the air, you know, three or plus times a week. And, you know, the, the, with the driving force behind what we do behind a professional wrestling business is WWE. So we have to have our fingers on the pulse there. Believe me, I would love to just cut the cord on WWE right now. Yeah, uh, because it is so bad. There's some good in there. And I'm, I'm going to try to find a lot of the good in what we're going to we're going to be talking about here. But I feel like most of the good is on SmackDown. We'll get to all of that there. But yeah, this one kind of backfires. But to you're talking about planting the seeds of Paul Heyman. Uh, leaving Brock Lesnar. Is it too obvious the way they're going about it? It it felt too heavy handed to me. Like it, like this entire thing is a swerve. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman have been in on this thing since day one. And this whole thing was just to get in Roman Reigns's head. And at the end of the night, you are going to see Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman walk out of SummerSlam laughing with the universal championship. It, it, I, you know what? I actually wouldn't be that upset about that. Uh, just so you know, in the next night there uh, on Raw, to have Heyman come out just without even Brock there, just come out and say, hey, we got you. I'm the mastermind. I'm the smartest. I'm the smartest person in this company. 
uh, and take a good look at this Universal Championship because it's gone. You'll see us after we go win the UFC Championship. What I am hearing, actually, is that Brock Lesnar, his last date with WWE is actually the Monday after SummerSlam. So it is not completely far-fetched to think that Brock Lesnar walks out of SummerSlam with the Universal Championship and drops it Monday on Raw to whoever wins the Money in the Bank briefcase between Strowman and Owens. Well, let me throw something in. Just, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but everyone knows what we're talking about. Most of them have watched it. Uh, we know Ronda's going to be making her Raw debut coming up on Monday. Could that be a test ground to see how much pull it actually has to have one of these specialty draws actually on the show perform? I'm fascinated to see what happens with the rating next week and where they place that inside the show. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Ronda, but this could be a test run. Hey, let's run Ronda out to see if she moves it. And if they do see a significant move, then they're thinking, oh, man, night after SummerSlam, we could have like a, a night after WrestleMania kind of momentum if people know that Brock's going to be on this show yeah, in Bro- an actual if, match. If at the main event, Brock Lesnar once again defeats Roman Reigns and walks out as the reigning, defending, undisputed universal champion, then you're left with that almost CM Punk 2011 after Money in the Bank. Well, now what the fuck? You know what I'd actually do? You've already got people on the hook. You already got people. If you're going to go that route, you're, you've already got people on the hook for SummerSlam right now. This, that place is sold out. It's a, it's our biggest. It's our second biggest event of the year. We're all going to be tuning in. Why don't you do a teaser? Why don't you do? Hey, you you better pull this over, and then you can actually get other platforms. Get ESPN, uh, the Fox Sports, uh, the NSN Sports, anyone, any sports, the Microsoft Sports, whatever the hell they are. Uh, get them to jump on board with this in a 24-hour period. You have Brock win that match. You keep the case on Braun. And then you actually have Braun come out and say, you know what? My style's not to just bum rush somebody. I'm coming out to give you 24 hours notice. I want your ass in the main event tomorrow night on Monday Night Raw. I'm taking that title. I think that would spike a rating. If you're going to go that route, uh, from a marketing standpoint, that is exactly the way you need to do that. Which is better, doing that or having Paul Heyman kick off the Monday Night Raw after SummerSlam and introduce his new client, the big dog, Roman Reigns? I think it, I think it completely backfires. I do, too. Uh, it, any, anytime he's actually switched, and I'm not even talking about Cesaro, let's go back to the big show. Back yep. when, back when, and one thing that I really don't like about this tease that Paul that Paul might leave, we've already seen this every time. It was just going to be the story every time Brock leaves. Yep. And then when they, and then when they can get him re-signed in a year, then he just magically shows up again, and everything's cool with Heyman. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't, we need something different. Yep, I agree. I agree. Let's move on to the WWE Championship. Let's talk about AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe. We've got Samoa Joe making things a little bit personal this week. AJ, of course, not on the show. He is advertised to be on next week's show to retort to Samoa Joe. But Samoa Joe, I think uh, I think Samoa Joe turned babyface uh, Tuesday on SmackDown because Samoa Joe just wants AJ Styles to spend time with his wife and kids. It's time that AJ loses the championship and go home and spend some time with the wife and kids. 
Joe is going to do AJ a favor when he chokes his ass out at SummerSlam and takes the WWE Championship, which rightfully belongs right now to Samoa Joe. You know what? This is uh, this is going to be, like you said earlier, a lot of people that you know, they're familiar with us on, on the locker room for those just joining us through the Hami Media Group. They're familiar with us from the locker room where, you know, the show has got a much faster pace. Uh, we don't butt heads as often because, hell, we just don't have the time because when me and you get into something, it, it, we'll go off on it. It's true. This is one of those, this is one of those great times that they're going to see a different side of us here uh, through the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm not digging this program right now. I, you know, I, I know the match is going to be great. Uh, these guys have done it time after time. It's going to – the WWE marks uh, – you know, there's a segment coming up later in this show that's named after one of the, the grandest marks uh, of WWE, marks of all. Uh, he is, he's already wetting his pants. I think he's using his Kleenexes for the wrong purposes right now. But we've seen this. These guys are going to tear down the house. It's going to be a great match. It, it might steal the show that evening. I'm not feeling this story. I'm not excited about the build. That seems to be pretty much the WWE MO. At this point, though, um, I, I, how else do you build this program? I think they need to suck it up. You, you, you can get around using the words TNA and Impact Wrestling and Ring of Honor. I would be much more invested in this, and I think the fans would also be if you could really show this as the long-running blood feud that it is. I mean, this thing has been building forever. You could play off all those things that have happened in the past and still sell. It's never happened on a stage like this. This is WWE. This is SummerSlam. This out. This outshines everything else they've done. Everything else has just been, uh, you know, just almost play fighting back and forth between these two. This is the real deal. This is the big league. This is the matters. Instead, we're we're going back to these. They're simply attacking his family values and his commitment to his family. Give me a break here. I feel like that's what Samoa Joe would do, though. Samoa Joe is going to do whatever he can to get into the head of AJ Styles. That's just Samoa Joe's character. I will give you a little bit there. I think he could have even made it more personable. This whole thing for me is just kind of a missing. I. I and I guess this, yeah, this is an armchair Booker kind of move. But even when he signed that contract, it should have been by intimidating the hell out of Paige, with giving just giving the threat, the illusion of violence against a woman without ever touching her. You could have security come out. He he clobbers them, and he still kind of stalks her in the corner where she is just afraid for her life. You talk about some true heel heat right there, uh, and to the point where she is so afraid that she just grants him the match. That he is now the number one contender. Then you start talking about history. And then instead of Joe just talking about AJ being a bad father, they should have went the next step and had Joe actually dedicate the match and the victory to the Styles family. I'm just really hoping that this was the beginning, the middle, and the end of the mentions of the Styles family. The last freaking thing that we need is a replay of what happened down in the old TNA when AJ left the company. Oh. Well, and, and the problem also is when you start getting the family, I think there's a better family story to be told between Miz and Brian, and you start getting into too many similarities between the two. Hey, and you know, this and this is just going off of what we heard from Joe this week. AJ could actually, he's going to respond next week. He could make it personal about, hey, man, this has been a history between us. You've always been jealous. You've always, this is, this is you, Joe. You try to take the low road. That's the reason you haven't seen the heights, or you've always been the second fiddle to me. 
you know, and you can kind of do a twist there. They could get this thing right. So I'm not completely knocking it. I'm just saying up to this point, I'm not really, I'm not really buying in or investing in the story. Again, this is just one of those, hey, I know it's going to be a, a great match on the card. Uh, I'm not going to, it's not one of those I'm going to get to the edge of my seat and perk up for because I'm not emotionally invested in this thing this time around. Uh, especially when I, hey, like I say, we've seen it two dozen times and there has been a dozen better stories told between these two. Very much agreed. Let's move on to Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler, another match that I know that you are just thrilled to death. You can't wait to see it. Of course, this past Monday on Raw, we had Seth Rollins versus Drew McIntyre, which I thought was a really good match until uh, Dolph Ziggler had to stick his nose into it. Uh, Seth Rollins needs backup here, man. How long until we can, how long can we keep Dean Ambrose away from this damn thing? At this point, we need Ambrose to come back because it's just making Roman Reigns look like a dick. Where the hell is Roman Reigns while Seth's getting the shit kicked out of him by two guys? Hey, Roman's, Roman's preoccupied right now. See, but this is the thing. If you want people to cheer Roman Reigns, these are the things that you need to think about. Seth Rollins comes out and saves Roman Reigns' ass all the time. Where the hell is Roman Reigns when Seth Rollins needs him? If you want people to genuinely care about Roman Reigns, he has to do good guy stuff, and he doesn't. Well, you know what? I, I like what you said there, bro. Uh, Jocko, you actually you, you brought up a great point. If you want those cheers, you want people to start slowly just kind of start swaying in that favor of Roman Reigns. Yeah, come out and make the save for Seth. And then how about this for a little subtle then? Yeah, you have Seth. Seth gets on, you know, the mic to cut, you know, a promo against uh, the show. And in there, he just suddenly drops, you know, drops that line. You know what? Thanks, Roman. I know you've got other things, but you still find time to come to this ring. Yep. And that's all you need. Don't put him over so damn heavy handed. Just to say that, yeah, you're not out there hugging him and embracing and saying you're the greatest. It's just a real subtle drop. Yep, just, that just thanks, kind bro. of just suddenly just sinks into their minds. You know what? Yeah, Roman can't. Roman, he's preoccupied. He's worried about. He's worried about not even just the Universal Championship. He's worried about the Beast, Brock Lesnar. But he still is finding time to come out here to the ring and Brock sit back there reading uh, the Shawn Michaels uh, Playgirl. This is why I don't think the John Cena, I know some of you like me and some of you hate me thing just isn't going to work with Roman Reigns. And it seems like that's kind of what they're trying to do with Roman Reigns. If you pay any attention to his Twitter account, I just don't think it's going to work. I think you almost as badass as the Roman Reigns character could be. I think you also need to make him that honorable. You need to make him that loyal. You have to have him sticking up for the other baby faces on the roster when they're getting beat down two on one, even if it's somebody Roman's not necessarily attached to, this is my yard and this is how we're going to run things. But no, they don't do any of that with Roman Reigns. In fact, he does the exact opposite and he comes out and says, Hey, if you don't like me, well, that's cool. The cool Roman thing about this show. I, I kind of popped a little bit when he bitch slapped Corbin. I did pop for that. And Baron Corbin absolutely deserved it. That was pretty good. That was a good moment. Yes, but see, that's what I'm saying. He should be sticking up for guys like Finn Balor, even though he doesn't necessarily have an attachment to Finn Balor because they're both baby faces. And then suddenly the Finn Balor fans are like, hey, you know what? Roman, maybe he's not so bad. It's And it's subtle things, not outright where Finn comes up and is like, you're right. You're a great guy. Yeah. 
Oh, Roman, you are so fantastic. I hope you go and defeat Brock Lesnar, even though Brock Lesnar won't fight me for my universal championship that I was never defeated for. Go Roman. Do you think it's, you think it's like, you know, we knock, we knock the creative, uh, because you know, we, an old term that, you know, we haven't used all that much, but we might have some new listeners here and you don't hear it frequently is hashtag LCDB lowest common denominator booking. Is it really the creative? Is that stupid? Or do they actually just think that the fan base is that stupid that they have to spell everything, you know, cross every T dot every I for, you know, this is a, a much broader conversation that we could probably talk about for an hour, but it almost seems like the effort of creative that they have put into the WWE at this point directly correlates to the WWE network. And what I mean is, you know, once upon a time, they had to work real hard to sell you on a pay-per-view. Now everybody has the network. Everybody's only paying 10 bucks. So they're trying to sell 10 people that same $100 pay-per-view. It seems like you're actually getting about a 10th of the creative from when they were actually working on the pay-per-view model because, hey, we already have your money. We don't have to try that hard. It's absolutely disturbing. Hate it. Uh, let's let's move on to another program that I think they are just trying to do too much with, and that is simply Daniel Bryan versus The Miz. Uh, I enjoyed this week's promos. I think Bryan and Miz are both fantastic, even though Daniel Bryan had lost all of his authenticity in cutting that promo. If there's one guy on the WWE roster who shouldn't be uttering all the WWE buzzwords within a span of about 20 seconds, it's Daniel Bryan. And then we've got Miz, who already happens to have all this prearranged footage ready to go, even though he's, you know, just jumping in on a Skype interview. But hey, let's put all of that out of mind. I enjoyed the promo. I enjoyed the back and forth. But, you know, you're just doing too goddamn much with it. This is a 90-second promo. I want to punch the Miz in the face. That's all the creative that I need. I I, I get where you want the simplicity, and I agree with that to a certain extent going too much with this program my, my only issue with it was as you said where he's got the the graphics ready to go whoever approved and thought that baby whining thing was a good idea uh should actually be taken not just fired uh not just shot uh should be taken out back and duct tape and raped so it's not actually raped because we can't hear them yelling and it actually it takes me completely out of the moment that's the problem because i'm supposed to believe that the Miz saw Daniel Bryan cutting this promo and he was like, oh no, the hell with that. Get me Skype right now. You on the phone, give me your phone. I'm going to Skype into SmackDown Live and I'm going to respond to Daniel Bryan. You know, you know that Daniel Bryan has airtime. So you have that, you have that on standby that is ready to go. Uh, when he's out in that ring, hey, get me queued up. I, I want to make sure that I'm able to respond. I'm okay with that. That makes sense. Uh, and even going back, you know, you're completely that, that Dana Bryan's hitting the buzzwords for WWE. And I think maybe he was a little over top there sometimes because he made sure to, you know, say WWE at least six times. That's part of it. The one the one thing that I and I'm WWE okay with Universe being, and Sports Entertainer. I'm sorry, I cannot believe that Daniel Bryan would ever say the word sports and entertainer back to back. I I understand. Come on, Joe. You got to meet them somewhere in the middle. They have they have a marketing plan. They have. I, to I understand that. Anywhere. I understand that. that. But Daniel but Bryan's here, entire it, gimmick is he's anti corporate. That's the entire gimmick. I, Skype obviously agrees with me. Thinker, that doesn't mean you're. 
no, you must be. Uh, my God, I just saw an NWO thing pop up on my screen. You must just be, you know, just trying to tweak me out here. Uh, you're just, you know, playing the role of one of those extreme leftists that wants to delete anything that I am saying is obviously right. Did you just hear Ben Hamin's music hit? Weird. Oh, damn it! Now I'm gonna have that music in my head. I love that song, but he—he's not anti-establishment. He's a free thinker. He just doesn't want to go along with the norm. He's okay with it if they're going in the right direction. And my and here's what I what I got from this promo. You know, this is outside like when AJ cut his last week. Yeah, it sounded manufactured. It sounded like it was being produced by someone else. Daniel Bryan is such a natural he does, and we can believe in Daniel Bryan. You know, it's even when he goes to social media where you see the difference between other superstars, Daniel Bryan is Daniel Bryan. That's what makes him such a great superstar. He is real. So when he says something like that. I could I could be more leaning into intend to believe that he actually believes in that as well. I, I believe in in his heart. He actually he loves his wife to death. He loves his baby girl. He wants to see opportunities for them like that. I buy into what he is pitching, what he's selling as a part of of evolution and all this. It totally works. Yes, he was hitting a lot of buzzwords, but that is part of the job. You have to do that. You're like pub, you're on a public platform like that. He is one of the biggest stars. More people are listening, tuning in than when he is there than anyone else. You've got to get those things in. He does a great I disagree. And you're back. What's that? And you're back. Skype. I am back. I am back. Skype disagreed with whatever you were saying. Uh, damn it, I was on a great rant right there. Yeah, you were. And then Skype was like, nope. Cut you off right at the balls. Speaking of guys who cut people off at the balls, let's 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 shift to uh, Jeff Hardy, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Randy Orton. I was, I was asked by one of our great fans of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast to inform you, Rick, Randy Orton is a heel. Just so you know. Randy Orton is a heel. So it, it seems so incredibly obvious that we are moving to a triple threat here. Jeff Hardy versus Shinsuke Nakamura versus Randy Orton for the United States Championship. My biggest complaint here is Shinsuke Nakamura does not feel like he belongs anywhere remotely close to this program. Do you agree with that? Uh, first of all, if you know, everything was broken up there, but I knew where you were getting at. Uh, no, he is not a heel. He is still Randy Orton. Uh, and I will refuse to give in to that. I, I will take that to my deathbed. He is still just Randy Orton. Let this thing play out. Let this character uh, evolve, and we'll see where he's really at. He is going to attack and destroy everything and everyone in his path. Okay, obviously I broke up on you because you completely missed my point. My point was Shinsuke Nakamura doesn't no, have... I'm going back. No, I, no, I was going back to you talking about that someone is trying to call me out on not recognizing him as a heel. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So Shinsuke Nakamura, I would rather just see Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy. I don't need Shinsuke Nakamura affiliated with us. Well, one of the things that, you know, is probably most puzzling and troubling about this thing. Another, another circumstance where WWE is kind of just disrespecting the championship. Yeah. The, the U S title is completely a side note. You're just lumping the champ into this thing because you have nothing else for him to do. You have no idea to go what direction with his character, how to handle him. And it actually is taking away from what could be a really great 
you know, almost blood feud match between two of, you know, arguably the, the greatest of the last two decades. Yeah, because I would love to just see Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy right now. Shinsuke Nakamura is just going to get in there and complicate things, especially when I just feel like Nakamura is going to win and it's not going to settle anything. And then we'll, and we'll probably end up getting like a blow-off match between these two on a useless SmackDown. Uh, yeah, love that. Or, you know, maybe they save it for... But hey, with, you know, with all the everyone just clamoring for, for pay-per-view time, you know, who knows who's... I don't, this thing should just be a one-on-one. If you don't have anything for Nakamura to do, just let him sit idle right now. Yep, completely agreed. Uh, speaking of guys that are being completely wasted away and programs that are an absolute waste, let's talk about Finn Balor and the constipated constable, Baron Corbin. Uh, Rick, I think really the only thing to talk about here coming out of this match was the post-match beatdown. I mean, these two guys go about 20 minutes. The match was what it was. It's about as good as you're going to get out of a Baron Corbin match. But the post-match beatdown was interesting because it just felt like it kind of went on and on and on and on and on. Almost like Finn Balor is going to need a little something else to get one back up on Baron Corbin. I am afraid that they are going with Demon Balor at SummerSlam. What they're probably their their logic is in their mind is oh we need something to spice him up. It can't be our terrible writing. We need a we. And he debuted that thing at a SummerSlam. Yeah. This this would be just a, a total travesty if they run out the demon against Corbin. Yeah, I completely agree, but it very much feels like that's the direction that they are shifting towards. Of course, the other thing that we have to talk about as far as the singles division going into SummerSlam is Kevin Owens and Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman counted out this week against Jinder Mahal, basically just to establish, hey, Braun, it's that easy for you to lose this Money in the Bank briefcase. I felt like that was the entire point here. Uh, How are you feeling? You you think Owens is going to take this case, or is this going to be another case of Braun Strowman mindlessly murdering Kevin Owens? Well, you you know, it's... uh, you know, even going back to extreme rules when we kind of like ragged on the match, you know, why did it like that? I will give a little credit. It does make sense that they're showing that this thing could, that it could happen that easy. And we, we know that Kevin is the ultimate opportunist. He's one of the smartest minds in the business when it comes, you know, to getting over inside the ring. Uh, or, but are they going to do the, are they going to address the obvious so, like solution on Kevin part that he could just have himself disqualified? Ooh, that's an interesting, uh, I hadn't even thought about that. Hadn't even thought about that possibility. Interesting. Uh, I mean, we, we know Sammy's out for a little bit, but could they just do like an El Generico run in or just have anyone else maybe, maybe interject themselves, you know, maybe that Kevin goes and pays off Bobby Lashley to give him something to do going into the fall. Just come in and spear Kevin and bronze disqualified Baron Corbin. Obviously, there's there's some kind of a working relationship between Baron Corbin and Kevin Owens and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Hey, it would be maybe a great opportunity uh, to really surprise fans that a large Sullivan jumps the rail, runs into the ring, and spears Kevin Owens. Yeah, I'm not sure when Lars is due back. Of course, Lars well, is dealing yeah, with that broken right. jaw. He he is out. I'm sorry, but you know, just somebody like that that could come in. I mean, are they going to address that issue that? That Kevin, you know, there's got to be a way that they have to watch that. Kevin, he's a smart guy, man. He's Kevin's one of the smartest, you know, if you're looking at it from that that perspective, Kevin's one of the smartest guys in the business. He's going to get over on you. 
Did you have a chance to see the Minoru Suzuki versus Kazuchika Okada match from the other night at the G1? I saw the highlights of it. Uh, so Suzuki jumps Okada before the bell even rings and then proceeds to just basically pummel Okada for about five minutes before the bell even rings. And Suzuki's entire plan is I'm just going to beat him with chairs and tables and other fans, whatever I can get my hands on. And then I'm going to have the referee ring the bell and Okada's going to get counted out. That was the entire strategy. And, and Suzuki went for about a half a dozen countouts right at the beginning of the match. I kind of expect the same thing out of Kevin Owens at SummerSlam. Uh, I can see something along the sides, but like back to your question, though, you know, who goes over here? Who should? If you really need to do something to jumpstart the brand and get that title off of Braun real quick, uh, I think you or get the title off Brock real quick, then you got to go with Braun. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but but I could see even with even with Brock retaining, I I think there there is some some use with Kevin who has no indication. I think he'd be the perfect character to be running around, bitching and complaining. But, wait, a minute, I got this case, and this guy isn't going to show up till around Rumble time. <laughs> that would be a fun story. They're screwing me again. You know, would be a fun story. Let's throw it over to the Jersey Mike segment presented by Kleenex. Sometimes a little change can make a big difference. Kleenex, softer, prettier. Oh boy, the women's division. The women's division is uh, kind of a chore for me to get through at this point. I guess let's start things off with uh, the big news. Ronda Rousey is going to be taking on Alicia Fox next week on Monday Night Raw. Of course, this week we saw Natalia with Ronda Rousey and Alicia Fox with Alexa Bliss because Mickey James evidently is on the shelf. I'm not sure if that is uh, a work or if that is uh, a legit injury to Miss Mickey James, but if she is actually injured best wishes get better soon because my God, I would much rather have her in this position other than Alicia Fox. Uh, Rick, how long do you think this match is going to go on Monday night raw next week? I have the over under at 15 seconds uh, of actual action. Yes. yes. Uh, no, I, I see Fox running around. There's gonna be some shenanigans going on in this thing. It's probably going to last two minutes. Uh, the promos and entrances will probably double that. But no, that this is the right move. We talked about this in the locker room. Absolutely, this is what they need, is what they need to do. You know, and I and I can't believe that I saw. You know, I, I didn't see just from one individual over in the Hami Media discussion group. I went to a couple other groups just to see kind of what the what the buzz was. You know, what was the vibe? What's the feeling around this thing? It was like, oh, they should have done it. They should have done it last week. Where's the element of surprise? You know, or why did they let us know it was going to happen? It should be something that surprises in the episode. So, do you guys understand anything about marketing? I mean, this is one of your biggest draws. This is one of the biggest stars you've had in this company in the last 25 years. If we've said it once, we've said it a million times. The show is not for you. If you watch the show, the show is not for you. The show is to get people who don't watch the show to watch the show. That's the freaking idea. They're not catering to you freaking marks. They're trying to get other people to watch the show. Well, it is okay. Like on like Tuesday night, we're going to talk. I'm sure we're, we're going to talk about this here in a minute. You know, they announced my precious Shar Shar uh, gets a match with Carmella. Yeah, oh yeah, we're going to talk a, about that. I know that that works as a surprise. Ronda Rousey, no, 
that is a marketing gold mine. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a little ashamed. You know, I, I have actually uh, made the point to go look at other outlets to see if anyone else is really jumping on this thing. A little disappointed that WWE isn't out hustling this a lot more. You would think this would be all over all forms of NBCU programming. Uh, this should be everything. This should be all over their social media. This should be being text out to people. They, they should be working every angle they have with any other sports and entertainment outlet uh, that she is going to be making her professional wrestling debut. Even if, even if you don't understand or are a fan of professional wrestling, this is such an attraction act that people are going to want to tune into this thing. Yeah, you would think. And I hope that they book it in a 15-second match because that's what people are going to tune in to see. They're not going to tune in to watch Alicia Fox run around the ring and scream her freaking head off for two minutes. Well, it, the way this really should be, if you're going to put – and you build up to it, where would you throw this on the show? That's the intriguing part because obviously when you look at most of the WWE's ratings, their highest ratings are always the first segment of the show. But I, I'm very intrigued where they put this. I'm guessing this is going to be the crossover between the second and third hour. That's what I anticipate. That's where I would put this. And realistically, I know a lot of people think, oh, why wouldn't you wait till the end? Keep people locked in. Because the East Coast tunes out. Yeah, they can't be there. I would, I would have this and probably start uh, East Coast time at about 940, somewhere between 945 and 10. Yep. And I agree with you that this thing should this thing should be quick, but you need to present this thing in such a fashion. You better put together some great packages throughout this show. You know, spend the first you know hour and forty five minutes hyping this thing. Uh, do some pre taped sit down you know backstage. Hey, even give Fox and don't do the stupid crazy Fox. Uh, present her in a serious fashion, something that that the outsiders tuning in it's going to seem very familiar to an MMA UFC style. Uh, let, let her have a little serious. Don't do the flip the cat and, and the yelling. I'd have Alicia Fox get all dressed up MMA style. I want to see her come out with her hair all corn rolled and. Uh, you know what I? You know what it would be kind of fitting. I would love to see if Bliss did a little twist. You know how was Bliss going to overcome this at SummerSlam? What if Bliss herself won out and hired Alicia Fox? Alicia Fox, a uh, MMA corner team. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yes. And you go through, you got all these great vignettes, you got great lead-ins, you got do a big mount, do a big match announcement, and then boom, it's over. Yep. And then go into your storytelling with hey, because a lot of these people that, that might be tuning in for the first time, they might they might believe that Fox is a better has more potential to overcome Rondo than Bliss. And you have to put over that Alicia Fox, I think that this is actually accurate is the longest tenured active member of the roster. I'm not sure that there is anybody on the active roster who has been with the company longer than Alicia Fox in a full-time capacity. What's, what's actually is, which is pretty interesting. You bring that up. Maybe a, a sit down, like a little, just maybe like, maybe you do in that first hour, like three, two minute cuts with her, where she is serious. Like, you know what? I, I have been here the longest. I got through a lot, but, you know, I've learned a lot. And she can mention some names. You know, I, I've sat back and, and had, and had powwows with, with Lita, with Trish Stratish, with Beth Phoenix. 
you know, I, this is the time for me to really flip that switch. Yeah, I would love to see that. I've always liked Alicia Fox, but they've just presented her so much. Well, they go out there and just get fucking smashed. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this, this, is, this is Ronda's world now. Yeah, the, keep in mind the actual like average fight time of a Ronda Rousey fight was right around 47 seconds. That's against some of the best UFC women fighters in the world. I think she takes out Alicia Fox in about 15 seconds. Maybe that's just me. Is that Johnny two times? Yeah, that's two times, man. Yeah, see, I even recognize that two motherfucker. Very, it's... What's up, Johnny two times? Let's talk about uh let's talk about Sasha and Bailey. Yeah, that's 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 how they gotta go about this thing, but Oh, got you back. Let's move on. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Sasha and Bailey. Of course, this week they go out and they beat the Riot Squad. Rick, where is this thing going? Are we going to get Sasha and Bailey one on one at Evolution, or is this going to be the beginning of an actual tag team? You know what? I, I don't have a lot to say about this thing. This slow burn has been kind of difficult. Uh, but very interesting to see where this thing is going. I, like I get, I said I'm going to try to stay positive on some things. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Uh, but you know what? I thought they, they did show that you could tell these two have come up together. They know each other very well in the ring. I thought they looked very good as a tag team. And if you are going to have a serious division, this is a perfect spot for these two girls. There's something about the uh, hug and boss connection that is reminding me a lot of Y2AJ. You remember when uh, Y2AJ was a thing there for all of about two weeks and they absolutely worked great together and they had t-shirts made and graphics made and then Jericho stab styles right square in the back. That's kind of where I feel like this thing is going. Uh, let's talk about uh, your precious fucking Shar Shar. She, she has weaseled her way into the triple threat at SummerSlam. So it's now going to be Carmella versus Charlotte versus poor, poor Becky Lynch getting screwed over once again. Rick, I guess the biggest question here is who's turning and please let the answer be Charlotte. You know, the way they're kind of building this thing, it, it leans more towards Becky. Uh, actually, if you would have went over, I know you weren't there because you usually uh, uh, you go to bed early on Monday. Oh, and yeah. not by choice, it's because well, it's because you start watching Monday Night Raw. And you're usually out by eight fifteen. Yep, you got to get up for that all night shift, uh, or on Tuesday. I'm sorry, Tuesday night SmackDown. Uh, yeah, that keeps you up a little bit later, but you usually you know crash out there uh, pretty early. I was over in uh, Acer's uh, great live discussion. So anyone that hasn't joined those, make sure you're heading over to Facebook to the Hobby Media Discussion Group and jump in our live chats for all the major shows. And we're talking WWE, uh, NXT, Impact. Triple uh, A, New Japan. I mean, Acer does an amazing job. I I, I don't know what what time zone or this what what area of uh, the spot the space time continuum. Acer is the space time continuum. But I couldn't believe I was going to say this, but it, I was actually rooting for my precious Sharshar to lose because I don't like the setup. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't like this setup at all. Well, and here and I did want to ask you about this though i am a little worried though because i know you're excited for the triple threat on saturday uh but you know that kind of takes a back seat now that you, we've got this major triple threat set up 
So could you see just maybe to help save a little face with NXT that they had Oscar to this thing next week and make it a fatal four-way? I was actually going to ask you what the hell they're doing with Asuka because this actually makes Asuka look terrible. Well, and, and what I really don't like is, you know, Charlotte just comes out because she happens to run in and make a save for her friend. Uh, and Carmella runs her mouth. She's just immediately put in this match. Let's not forget. Hey, Carmella, Carmella won't let you forget. She beat Charlotte twice. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't like, by, you know, in, in that. The second time wasn't by hook or crook. It was Charlotte made a mistake. She missed her fucking insult and hurt her knee, and Carmella capitalized on it. That's the name of the game. Now, I know Jersey Mike is listening to this, and I told him that I was going to talk about this. I want to talk a little bit about Carmella and Becky Lynch and their promo. Now, Jersey Mike was trying to convince me that this was a good promo, and I listened to our friends Andrew Bello and Billy Ray Valentine on the Wednesday locker room over at hackerhameen.podbean.com, and they were trying to convince me that this was a good promo. And I thought this was an awful promo, and this is why I thought it was an awful promo. I thought it was a well-written promo. I thought it was a well-delivered promo. But how many goddamn times are we going to do this with Carmella? It seems like this is now the go-to thing for Carmella, where she comes out, she cuts an insincere promo, and then she goes, ha, 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 I got you. No, it, it this works if you do it once or maybe twice a year, and they seem to do it once or twice a week between Alexa Bliss and Carmella. The only good thing about this promo was Becky Lynch didn't buy one second of the bullshit. First thing that JR says in his book, Slobberknocker, is don't make the babyface look stupid. And WWE loves to make the babyface look stupid. I was so happy when Becky Lynch didn't fall for this shit. And then she falls for the Ellsworth trick and looks like a fucking moron. Absolutely. Well, well maybe, that was her, maybe that's what they were trying for. Right? Becky's got one of her tricks down. Becky knows one of, one of her mind games, uh, but, she, but then she gets doubled down on. I mean, maybe that was her angle there. I, I am actually kind of with you. I actually, you know, up until that point, I thought this was one of the better promos that Becky had cut. And she had some uh, some real fire. Yep. And she feels authentic. Yeah, it, that's what I was going to say. She felt authentic. It was coming from the heart. You know, she was shooting from the hip. It was really buying into Becky there. And I think the crowd was really getting behind her, which was even more reason as I was sitting there watching this. It's like, please just let this be one-on-one. Even if Carmella goes over, let Becky go in there and get her shine here. But they have to overcomplicate things. I told you this last week. If they're going to just throw her into the match or as a corner person, leave Charlotte out. Let her do something else. Uh, she has, she needs to work. Charlotte, she's the alpha when it comes into the in the ring. I mean, she has every tool. She's 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 got the, the physique. She's got the skill set. She's she's just an overall dominating athlete. But she needs to work on some of those personal skills. That, you know, to feel more natural than might. She is. She's one of those that are very robotic. You can tell her things are written for her, and she has trouble with the delivery. She needs to be put in a situation where she has to think on her feet. SummerSlam would have been a great opportunity to, have to use her as a social media ambassador, or just get her on the panel or something like that, where she's got to have more of a natural flow. That would have been a better learning experience for her than just throwing her and trying to get all the star power you can in this match. It's a SummerSlam. You've got enough star power on this damn thing. It should have just been Becky getting her moment to shine, even in a loss. Just let people just remind people how talented she is. It should have been a one on one. And it doesn't need the star power. Carmella versus Becky Lynch feels like a big enough match for me for SummerSlam. It's, it's not like to, that match was missing star power. It's enough. It's it's very much enough to make that main card. Absolutely agreed. Let's talk about something I never ever ever 
ever want to see again. And that's Zelina Vega defeating Lana in a match. These two women absolutely have no business attempting to work with one another. I did not enjoy this at all. This felt incredibly clunky and I feel like it really defined down Zelina Vega because I know Zelina Vega is way more capable of having a much better match than that. This thing was clunky as hell. I I will agree with you there. Uh, I I felt you almost felt bad for Vega. Yes. For, for that being her, her main roster debut, that was disappointing. That this is her first introduction, formal introduction to the WWE Universe, and she has to go out there and try to carry to carry Lana on a television to a halfway decent match. I thought Vega looked great early. I love the, the slide away with the kind of pose, like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, just the cocky, like, model pose. Uh, I, I want to go see, just that, not feeling bad for Vega. I don't think anyone should ever have to work with Lana. I actually went and looked at the entire roster, the entire women's roster, red and blue brand. I can make an argument for almost, hell, I'll be honest with you, I can make an argument for everyone, what they bring to the table, why are there, and how they contribute, can contribute, except for Lana. Yeah. As an in-ring competitor. She does, she does have things she can bring to the table where she can contribute to the overall program, the, the whole variety show. But she should never be competing in a ring. She is absolutely terrible. And what it's actually doing, it's a detriment to her, even in her manager role. And the worst part is, is she's improved like a million times over where she started. And she's still just awful. I, I was originally on board for doing Rusev and Lana versus CN and Zelina Vega at SummerSlam. I am now all out on the mixed tag idea. Just give me Rusev and CN one-on-one, please. Uh, I, I hope it goes that direction, I, but I still think when you pitch that, man, I think they're going to go that direction. I think they're going to go the mixed tag. Uh, but my question is you here real quick. I know we'll probably, as we get closer to it, we'll do a little predictions, and as it plays out, we'll know what's going on. Could you see Aiden English jumping over, switching sides? Ooh, that's an interesting development. What I'm actually hoping is Aiden English somehow assists Lana and Rusev to defeat CN and Zelina Vega at SummerSlam, thus just unifying Rusev Day. Let these three just go and turn babyface and go print a whole bunch of money with a babyface Rusev Day act. I, I'm with you 100%. I, I think they need all three components. And Lana's the weakest link there. Yep. They need all three to really make this thing, man. It's it's the holy trinity. Yep. You need, need it all, all to go them. forward. Yep, because very that, much agree. That's, that's how it works together. And it's and maybe that is, you know, hey, are, are there cracks in the wall? And then they, they you know, they, they solidify that union and move forward. Yep. I'm all right with CN taking the loss in that situation as well let's move on to the uh tag division uh i wanted to ask you about the b team because rick i'm not sure if the b team are actually going to have a match at SummerSlam. at this point i do not feel like the raw tag team titles are in any kind of a position or program to be defended at SummerSlam unless we do a triple threat with the revival the deleters of worlds and the B team, and I really don't need another triple threat SummerSlam weekend. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually with you, man. I think the Revival gets eliminated here. If you're going to do anything with the Raw Tag Team Championships, it needs to be off-site 
This is time for one of the Hardy gimmick matches. Although I absolutely, I think it was Bello that suggested that if we do do a triple threat, then we need to do it final deletion style and we need to throw the revival into the lake of reincarnation and have them come back as the brain busters because I absolutely love that idea. That Bello, right when you started going that way, I did not hear him say that, but my first thought was if they come out as the brain busters. And I actually, and here's here's what I really love. They get thrown in. Instead of them coming back just in Brainbuster gear, I actually just want to see Tolly and Arn come out of the lake. Yes. Oh, I would pop so hard for that. Yes, that would be fantastic. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So make this a moment in the match. You have the revival get tossed into the lake. Maybe like not too early, but mid match. And then from the lake emerge Tolly and Arn as the Brainbusters. Everyone pops. Everyone's exploding. Now, we really can't move forward storyline with them, right? Because no, hey, they can't go compete in all this. So here's what happens. Guess who's still lingering at the compound? The Rock and Roll Express runs in and starts fighting them and fights them back into the lake. Fantastic. And then they come back. And then later in the match, they come back out as the revival and steal the belts. The Busters of Brains? <laughs> I can hear Hardy now. Fantastic. Of yeah, course- Hardy does. Oh, yeah, here we go. The Busters of Brains. And then Hardy doesn't want to fight them. Brains kind of like, they're all like, whoa, whoa, we can't fight these guys. And then you have the Rock and Roll Express running and start battling them on the shoreline. And they fight them back into the water. Oh, So then that, that kind of goes away. So then the, the, the leaders in the B team continue their war. But then who, who emerges from the lake? The actual revival. And they steal the championships. I love it. I love it. Let's, uh, let's bounce over to SmackDown. It's really not this fucking hard, people. <laughs> I know, right? Let's bounce over to SmackDown. This week, of course, we had the Bar defeating the Usos in the final four of the SmackDown Live Tag Team Tournament. Next, uh, it's going to be uh, the Bar versus the New Day next week. Uh, er, yeah, the Bar yes. versus the New Day next week. And then, of course, we had the Bludgeon Brothers promo later on in the show. Um I, I don't even want to talk about New Day on commentary because that was God fucking awful. And we all know that Rick has a pancake phobia. I enjoyed the bar versus the Usos. And and next week we're going to get the bar versus New Day, which I'm sure will be good. But Rick, wh- what do you think of those three matches? The bar versus the Usos, the bar versus the New Day. Do either one of those teams versus the Bludgeon Brothers do anything for you going into SummerSlam? You can see me here on screen. You're doing that Russo thing. Yeah. um, I just don't have the grandma glasses. I I, I said something to Jersey Mike yesterday afternoon. We were in a conversation. And it was about live events and marketing. And and, and you know how much of an over-the-top WWE mark he is. They can't do anything wrong. And I'm trying to explain, you know, expect better. Uh, And it got to the point where I just told him, sometimes talking to you just hurts my brain. (laughs) And I feel that way when I'm watching the SmackDown Live Tag Team Division. See, and and I really enjoyed the Bar versus the Usos. Like, those four guys work together so freaking good. Here's the problem, though. When you set up a separate announce table and let three clowns take away from the actual action that's Uh, going on. And you know the other thing that took me away from it was freaking Byron. When the New Day comes out and Byron Saxon's like, oh, the New Day, 
I didn't know they were coming out here. Really? You have a bright orange announce table littered in pancakes sitting three feet to your fucking left. You are an idiot. You know, the only thing that would have made that for me is when Biggie's talking. If you just suddenly, you just would have just kind of suddenly seen coming in off camera, Brian Saxton's hand stealing pancakes. Oh. And as they, and as they pan out, Biggie's continuing to talk and Saxon's just sitting there putting pancakes in his mouth. <laughs> I am really starting to look forward to the Biggie heel turn. Cause I want to see Biggie just beat the ever loving piss out of Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods at this point. And just uh, give what, me oh, serious what, evil Biggie. Well, what was up with Kofi Kingston's baby gap t-shirt? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, it's, it reminds, I was watching uh, family guy this morning. Stewie, Brian, can you take me to Baby Gap? I want to dress like a giant, giant douche. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. So let's go ahead. We're going to throw it over to the musical break. Rick's going to enjoy a cocktail. I'm going to smoke a cigarette. We're going to play some Faith No More. I'm not exactly sure what song, but it'll probably be some old school Faith No More because that's all I've been listening to for like two weeks. And then we're going to come back and we're going to discuss... Where in the hell the actual real pro wrestling is? The G1 Climax. We've got your update. We are we are up to date. We have uh, eliminations. We're going to have a celebration now that Yano is out of the fucking tournament because that's the best thing that happened in professional wrestling this week. Stick around, ladies and gents. Hold we'll on, be right hold back. On, oh. Hold on. Hold on. Not out of the tournament yet, brother. What? He's not out of the tournament yet, brother. Well... He's still in the tournament, but he has absolutely zero chance of winning the G1 Climax. Stick with us through the break, because I'm going to irritate the shit out of Jarga about how he is completely wrong about that statement. We'll be right back. If you want to open home, just put your head down. Go. Step aside the piece of the circumstance Gotta wash away the dust every day
Segment two, that was uh, Faith No More, their song Evidence off the album King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, 1995. Rick, were you ever a Faith No More guy? Uh, I would say a fan. I just wasn't a fan of the genre and all that, but I, I'm aware of all their work. You know, or, or, you know their, their featured work, we'll say, or their popular work. Love those guys. Love those guys. Good stuff. So, Rick, I, I have a confession to make. I, I have caught a new disease and this disease is called the G one itis. I I am just I'm so wrapped up inside of the G one. I barely have time for WWE stuff. It was a chore watching it this week, and I think I've finally figured out why. I, I, I and it's not just me. I've heard from many people who have caught the G one itis. Rick, here's here's the problem. G one night eleven was a three hour show, one day. Three hours, 10 matches. If you add up all the match time of those 10 matches, they went 102 minutes. Now, when I look at Monday Night Raw and Tuesday Night SmackDown, over two nights, five hours worth of programming, WWE's grand total, 84 and a half minutes for their 10 matches. New Japan's got another like 20-some freaking five minutes 25 minutes on, on WWE, just when it comes to match time, when I want to watch a wrestling show, you know what? I want to watch a wrestling show. Not all this people walking around and talking and playing grab dick. Uh, okay. Now, now, now you're kind of hurting my brain. 
You're trying to compare apples and oranges. I, I understand this, but man, I'm looking you, at these match you, times. If, yes, if you want it, like you ju- you said it yourself, if you want to watch a pro wrestling show, then yes, watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. Watch Impact Wrestling. Watch Ring of Honor Wrestling. WWE is sports entertainment. They are two different beasts. It, it's unfair to put these two on, on the same measuring stick. Three matches on SmackDown for a grand whopping total of 35 minutes of wrestling on SmackDown Live this week. Now, now, if you really want to make your point, sir, Charco, if you really want to make your point, and you're probably going to kick yourself in the ass, but hey, this this is what the little brother does for the big brother, because yes, you are the elder of us. That's right. I am the senior member of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. You, Respect you your are, elders, you young are, man. You are, you are the senior member. This is what a little brother does. Sometimes you, you look at it just like in a Brady Bunch when, when, when Greg just realizes that Bobby is just in his innocent way has done something so joyful and delightful that it, it opens his eyes. If you want to make the argument, here's what I, and what it might, you know, most WWE fans counterpoint would be, but, but they were doing stories and promos. I, I am willing to wager that new Japan did more st- storytelling in their show than WWE did hands down. I'm, I'm willing to bet that new Japan probably did more storytelling on their undercard well, than, say, than yeah, WWE with, did with 25 more minutes of wrestling. Cause that's what a lot of people don't realize about new Japan. You know, they don't get it. It's like, well, you know, where are the interviews? Like, why don't they do the in-ring segments? And how do I know who's advancing? Where's their character? They know the tradition of professional wrestling. It happens inside the ring. And then New Japan will use other, you know, other avenues that are more familiar to legitimate sports, like press conferences and, and post-match interviews. Yeah, if you want, if you want the promos and the interviews and all that, it's not that they're not out there for New Japan. They just don't air it on their wrestling show. You you can go find it all. I mean, hell, they even have an English YouTube page where everything is captioned for you. You know what's really funny though? Know, there's a lot of people questioning if when WWE moves to Fox that they'll have more of a uh, UFC MMA presentation. It's already in New Japan or in all the Japanese wrestling. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you have Kenny, you know, there's that big match, a main event. Like you look forward to like in UFC. But we just saw that when Kenny Omega won the championship, you know, that promo there at the end of that thing. Uh, any, you know, anything with Okada during his runs, he gives you that good promo in ring afterwards. <laughs> Speaking of Okada promos night 13, Okada is in the main event and he wins his main event. Of course, we'll talk about it here in just a minute, but Okada takes the mic to cut the, the go home promo and he waits and he gets the crowd behind him and the entire crowd is chanting his name. Okada. Okada. And Okada goes and he yells into the microphone. That's five wins except the microphone wasn't turned on. It was freaking hilarious. They laughed Okada out of the freaking building. It's hilarious. Great stuff. And Okada just played it off. He's playing. Hold on. I, hold on. I was going to say, is that a, is, was that a happy accident or another uh, strategic move for the fall of Okada? I, that's a good point. Okada doesn't even know how to turn on the microphone anymore. Although I think, I think the old Okada is back. He just doesn't give a fuck anymore. Let's talk about night 11. Uh, this is of course, uh, this tournament is just insane. But when you get into this kind of middle third 
of the G1, this is when things really start getting taxing because you don't have the big marquee matches. They do those at the beginning of the tournament and then at the end of the tournament. So night 11, you have Bad Luck Fale defeating Togi Makabe. Jay White defeats Hangman Page. Suzuki goes over Evil, which was a little bit of a surprise and a fantastic match. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Yoshihashi. Kazuchika Okada defeats Michael Elgin in the main event. No big surprises. Night 11, pretty much straightforward. Night 12, Tamatonga defeats Tomohiro Ishii. Juice Robinson defeats Sonata. That was a pleasant surprise. Tetsuya Naito defeats Toru Yano. Omega over Zack Sabre Jr., which was quite the surprise. I thought for sure Zack Sabre Jr. was going to be the one to get Kenny Omega. And then we had Kota Ibushi literally jumping out of balconies onto Hiroki Goto. Kota Ibushi just doing what Kota Ibushi does. This, of course, was in Ibushi's hometown, his home arena, and he went absolutely all out for this match. Probably the best Hiroki Goto match that I have seen. Night 13 was absolutely fantastic. Michael Elgin goes over, bad luck Fale. Hangman Page gets his first pinfall victory of the G1 when he defeats Togi Makabe. Jay White defeats Yoshihashi. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Evil. And then we had Okada in the main event defeating the masochist bastard Minoru Suzuki. That match is fantastic. Go out of your way to find that one. Rick, the bigger story here, as I just run through the results, we now have it narrowed down to six, and pretty much everybody else is out of the tournament. So I wanted to uh, really discuss these six, take a look at their remaining matches, and figure out who in the hell is going to win the G1 Climax. Any comments, any of the matches, anything that absolutely stood out to you to begin with through night 13. What you said, uh, Okada Suzuki, yes, absolutely. Go check that thing out. But, you know, everything else kind of fell in line. You know, there wasn't any more surprises. Uh, and this is one of the first ones I've, I've been uh, so enlightened with. But you guys, you told me what to kind of expect going in here. Uh, so, yeah, this is kind of uh, in any sport, right? Like in a season, you get that mid kind of transition where it just kind of goes into a like a calm kind of wave. Yep. And then we're going to gear up as we go in towards Budokan because, my God, are there still some big matches left. Let's go ahead. Let's start in the A block. Right now, we have Hiroshi Tanahashi leading the A block with 12 points. He, of course, has two matches left, Michael Elgin, and then a showdown. Hold on, hold on. Who, who, who went down? Who was out now? Who was out? Well, in the A block, well, I, I know you want to talk about the no, B no. block. No, 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 no. Someone's out for a year. Oh, that's that's Hiromu Takahashi. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. We got we got so many Ashis and Takas and all this, and I guess uh, I get a little confused sometimes. Uh, that that uh, injury goes back to the G1 in San Francisco when Dragon Lee threw him on his head. Oh, that goes all the way back then. Okay, okay. I just saw the head. I, I actually, I'm going through some headlines here, trying to catch up on some stuff. I got two times in my ear talking about just stuff. He's talking about Bushlight. Uh, I'm trying to follow ProWrestling.com and listen to you here. Fantastic. So Hiroshi Tanahashi. I, I, I'm just I, I'm one step under a tech brand. It just gets up, walks away from the screen random times. <laughs> <laughs> Tanahashi with 12 points. He's got Michael Elgin and Okada left. We have Jay White at 10 points with Togi Makabe and Evil left. 
And then you have Okada at 10 points with Evil and Tanahashi left. Obviously, the big match that is left here is Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on Kazuchika Okada. That, of course, will be the final night of the G1. I expect Tanahashi is going to get Elgin. I expect Okada is going to get Evil. Jay White is the interesting kind of third man out here. What do you think? Does Jay White still have an outside chance of winning this tournament to you? Hey, man, not winning the tournament, but the block. He was he is my pick, man. I, I'm looking at how we can knock this thing down. The, the cards are lined up for him. Very much so, because, of course, Jay White defeated Kazuchika Okada and has defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi in this tournament. So he holds tiebreakers over both men. Uh, you know, that scary one. Uh, and hey, like you always say, man, trust the good over that, that match with evil. It's going to be very interesting on that final. final That's going to be a big match. Evil kind of gets to play spoiler here. Of course, evil can still get to 12 points, but via tiebreakers, evil is basically ruled out of winning the a block at this point. Um, So evil basically out Elgin, Fale, Makabe, Hangman and Yoshihashi all out. Makabe can still play a little bit of spoiler for Jay White. Do you think that there's any chance that Togi Makabe defeats Jay White here? I, you know what we what we've seen from White is you have to be a complete is uh once again uh, bring up our boy Jack Brown. You know just you gotta you gotta be a complete evil monster, and I don't see that. I don't see that from Makabe. Yeah, I'm with you. Like maybe five years ago, this would be a much more interesting matchup. Now, now while we're still talking here about the A block. Let me ask you, you know, with some of these guys here at the bottom there that are technically they're eliminated from contention for winning this thing, who would you say to those really put their best foot forward? I think the biggest story of the tournament as far as newcomers has got to be Hangman Page. Hangman well, just, has made just, one hell of a statement. Yeah. I, th- I, I agree with you 100%. You know, he's sitting down there in second to last, uh, but sometimes it's about the impact. Not the stats. Especially when you're new, just showing heart, showing that fighting spirit goes a hell of a long way inside New Japan Pro Wrestling. Biggest disappointment of the tournament has got to be Yoshihashi still bringing up the rear with two points. Of course, in the commentary, they have kind of put over that Yoshihashi barely even made the tournament this year. Some would argue that he actually shouldn't have been in the tournament this year. Only two points. Yoshihashi is in serious, dire need of some kind of a facelift here. Especially, I, I thought I thought maybe he was going to get Jay White, but Jay White just beat him like a freaking dog. Maybe that's the story going forward with him. You know, maybe this is kind of like that that awakening for him. He comes out of here. They barely said I deserve to be here, and man, I, I finished at the bottom. I need to do something. It's going to be interesting because I think things are going to come down to Okada and Tanahashi that final night and which way it goes there kind of hard to tell. I also found out the other day, you notice Hiroshi Tanahashi is still wearing that damn compression sleeve on his arm. He never got that damn bicep fixed. He has been working with a torn bicep now for about a year and a half. And to be working at that level, just insane stuff. Uh, when you say insane, you know, maybe a little stupidity as well. Yeah. Very much so agreed. Speaking of stupidity, let's jump over to the B block where we have Kenny Omega still undefeated. Of course, the B block is is still one match behind the A block at this point. They have three matches left. But Kenny Omega working with a broken heel, which is why I call him a damn fool. Kenny Omega at 12 points, Tetsuya Naito at 10 points. 
Kota Ibushi now at eight points. Those are basically the only three left because when you get into tiebreakers and whatnot, Sonata has been released. Zack Sabre Jr. has has been relieved of, of his chance of winning the G1 Climax after losing to Omega. That one really surprised me. Goto, Ishii at four, Juice at four, Tamatonga at four, and that bloody bastard, Toru Yano, bringing up the rear at two points. But yet, you know, I... Hold on, hold on. I got something for you, brother. Go for it. Yano's at the bottom, right? He yep. is he's officially eliminated. He's from, out from from winning the G one. From celebration. G1. Hold on, you ready? You ready? Go for it. Yano, 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 Sayonara. I'll give you the Russo clap on that one. That's fantastic. That's that's going to be a sound clip that I am going to save forever, and it very well may get played every time we talk about that murderous bastard Toru Yano. Although, uh, but but hold on though, while he's eliminated, there there is something almost like a Freddy Krueger haunting your nightmares, my friend. I know it. I I sent you the message, and I told you I'm calling it right freaking now. That fucker is going to beat Kenny Omega. Let me be honest. Do you think they would really do something like this? Yes, I do. Well, and you think that they set the precedent how he beat Abishi? Yep. And he damn near beat Kenny the same way last year via countout when he tied Kenny's feet together. So wouldn't Kenny be smart enough to overcome this right now? I'm telling you. Or, or hold on, hold on, hold on. I know that. This is more Western style, but they are adapting a little of this. What if Tamatanga came out and knocked out Kenny on the outside? That's a possibility. That's a possibility as well. Um, I think uh, I know that's that's not the New Japan style per se, but they are adapting a lot more Western into uh, their product. I think things are going to get real interesting in the B block real fast. Uh, Tetsuya Naito has three matches left. Those three matches are Kota Ibushi, Sonata, and Zack Sabre Jr. Two of those matches intrigue me greatly, and the other one is up for match of the year, which is Zack Sabre Jr. when he beat Tetsuya Naito during the New Japan Cup. That match was absolutely fantastic, and I look forward to the other two matches even more. First off, we're going to have Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito Ibushi needs this win badly to pull him even with Naito. And then both Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi will hold pinfall wins over Tetsuya Naito. That's the important part here. My entire theory going into this G1 was that Naito is going to win the G1. But in order for Naito to win the G1, he has to lose to Kota Ibushi. Agreed? Here's here's what I'm going to say here. I, I do agree 100. I mean, this with three matches ago, this is anyone's game. But I'm going to let's up the ante here. Let's have a little fun. You know, this this entire month is about building up to Starcast and all in. Yep. So let's let's kick it off here in a big way here. We got we got here within the next week or so. This thing's going to be wrapped up. Coming into this thing, you had Naito as your as your winner of the B block. I had Abushi as the winner of mine. Yep. We've got three options here. Mm-hmm. So let's throw it out here. If Abushi wins, then you owe me lunch going into Starcast. 
I have a feeling I'm going to get screwed on this deal because if I have to buy you lunch the way you eat, this is going to cost me a lot more no, money no, than no, it's going to no, cost no, you. No, 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 this is, this is a lunch. You're, you'll see me eat afterwards. <laughs> I'm a late night eater. And you get a couple beers of me, we're going to be throwing down some freaking, I have a, well, you know what, let's hold it. We'll close the show with some plans we have at all in. All right, so if Victor wins, uh, I'll buy you and Carly lunch. Ooh. I like it. I like it. If Omega wins, you and I have to chip in and buy our good friend of the GrowAposition.com, Ryan K. Bowman lunch. That sounds like a fantastic idea. I love this idea. So Ryan's got Omega. You got Aether and I got Ibushi. Yep. That's what we're going with. But first things first, Kota Ibushi has to beat Tetsuya Naito. That's, that's the first thing that has to happen here. Then we're going to have Kota Ibushi is going to defeat... Tama Tonga. Of course, Tama Tonga has threatened to murder Kota Ibushi. Literally. I, I almost I almost think that's a way because you think Tonga's going to get fucking disqualified. Yeah. Uh, agreed. And then, of course, we lead up to Ibushi and Omega, the final night in Budokan. As far as Tetsuya Naito goes, he is going to lose to Kota Ibushi. Then he is going to... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I sit here looking at these things. Look at these numbers. All depending how they line these up. What if Tomatanga comes out and it helps Yano beat Omega? Mm-hmm. So that drops him down. But he knows that Ibushi needs points to get up there to challenge Omega, which would cause a great divide, right? And you've got this great competition going on. What if Tama just comes out and lays down? Ooh, that's an intriguing possibility. Take take your points, bitch. I don't care about them. You just tied your fucking lover. <laughs> I could actually see that happening. I could see it. Uh, NATO and Sonata. Now, when it comes to NATO, he is going to win one of these matches and he is going to lose one of these matches. Would you rather see him defeat Zack Sabre Jr. and avenge the New Japan Cup loss and lose to his baby brother Sonata? Or... Does NATO put Sonata in his goddamn place and then take a second loss to Zack Sabre Jr.? I'd almost go with put baby brother in place, but you're over cocky and then get caught. I like that. I, I, I think there's a very interesting dynamic going on right now with Sonata and NATO. You really could go at this is again, man. If we could play out 10 different stories in our heads here, just plotting this thing out. Yeah, easily. When it comes to Kenny Omega, Tomohiro Ishii is going to beat Kenny Omega. And then everybody's dreams are going to come true because finally Tomohiro Ishii is going to have a shot at becoming the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion because he will be owed a match for the title at a future time against Kenny Omega. Ishii has had a bit of a disappointing tournament. That makes up for it in my mind. Then that motherfucker is going to beat Kenny Omega. Toru Yano is going to beat Kenny fucking Omega. And that's going to make me sick. And I'm going to complain about it for weeks on end. He could have just lost to Zack Sabre Jr. and beat Yano. But no! Yano over strong. And then it comes down to... Kota Ibushi. Now, the way I see it, it's all going to come down to that match between our little lunch bet. If Kenny Omega wins, 
Ryan wins the bet. If Kota Ibushi wins, Rick wins the bet. And if it goes to a time limit draw, I will win because NATO will have one more point than Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi. Or if Omega wins, then Ryan's just having a great lunch. <laughs> so that's kind of how I see it. Of course, Gato is a magnificent motherfucker, man. He has once again booked a phenomenal tournament. And even going into this last third of matches, you've got six guys still alive. And there is a ton of intrigue when it comes down to Nato and Sonata, Ibushi and Kenny, Tanahashi and Okada renewing that amazing rivalry. It's going to be a fun ride to the end of the G1. What's, what's the date on the finals of this thing? Um, I want to say the, the 12th. I want to say the 12th. Oh, man. I got, I got fucking front row seats to a WWE live event that night. Oh. You know, you, know what's, you know what's hilarious? Even though he knows I'm talking on air, uh, he feels the need to come over and keep tapping my arm like I'm having a conversation with him right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's still talking to me, Johnny. Not, God damn I'm it! I'm not doing anything. I'm just talking. I'm just, I'm just talking in the air. He's just trying to tell me about whatever stupid thing happened to him today. <laughs> so, Rick, let's let's wrap up season two, episode thirty-one of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Then head over to thegorillaposition.com and read the stories of pro wrestling storytellers, and be sure to check out our show but all the great content over on the Roar Network. Then hit hackerhameen.podbean.com so you can find Rick and I over in the locker room this Monday at Hameen Media. As always, find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Email us, hittingthemarks at gmail.com. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. RBV, how does Johnny two times find you? And let's talk a little bit of All In. Well, I'm going to let you know, hey, Jargo, I I said something. I, I want to plug this right away. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. I'm uh, sorry, man. I had a little break up here. A little break up. I, I apologize. Professional editing will make sure none of this ever sees a line of air, so fuck it. <laughs> Jargo, before I get into the plugs here, I guess the biggest plug I'm going to throw out. Dude, I just sent you the official, the official poster, the official card for our Queens of the Ring fantasy tournament. Going on over the Hameen discussion group over on Facebook, man. I, I got to ask you, brother. Man, that's an impressive lineup, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of makes me wish that this was the lineup for Evolution. Well, it, it, even if Evolution, if this was like a weekly programming or an actual promotion, this is must-see television. Yeah, it's but, a you know, deep show. But the whole point of it is, you know, we're going we're gonna to debate the matches. We're going to talk about the talents, you know, how they would interact, what would be going on. It's, it's all voter-based Great activity. Once again, that happens over in the Hami Media Discussion Group over on Facebook. But anyone that feels so inclined, and I'm going to make a bigger push this, this month on Twitter, on Facebook, on all my social media. Follow me at the Real RBV. Obviously, my name is Rick Vicky. Been listening to me here for uh, shit. Uh, I don't know, for hours. I don't know what the edit is. <laughs> you can also find me Tuesdays. We are launching season two of Smack Talk. Season two of Smack Talk, man, this has been over the top. We are averaging like 10,000 viewers each week live. Wait. Unbelievable. Season two? Wait, are you all stealing my gimmick? 
Uh, yes, if you mean by inventing seasons in television, yes, we are stealing your gimmick. Aren't you the guy who once upon a time asked me why we have seasons and episode numbers? Well, if you tune in Monday, I'll stooge off why Ray and I have seasons. <laughs> Hopefully Big Ray gets himself his new laptop by then. It, no, it involves drinking, debauchery, and women. <laughs> Fantastic. That sounds like a show uh, that I would watch. In the month of July. You want to... I'm getting way off track, but who cares? This is our debut on the Hobby Media Group. We are kicking off the road to StarCast and All In. We're way off topic. I'm going to close it right. Everyone knows to find me on all my social media. I- I'm everywhere. I'm a loud mouth. You know where to find me. I'm going to close it on this. The uh, Andrew Bello. What, what is, what's he going down? Smokescreen? Smokescreen, Andrew Bello. We are getting ready to launch now a proud movement for – the, the right, those of us that are right, the Conservative Wrestling Coalition is about ready to launch. And we're looking for anyone that, that believes in Bellows and I's views, that see things the way we do. You and I are brothers, and we get along so so well. It's almost like uh, Bellows like a younger clone of me, the things that we come up with. We are launching a new movement that's going to be coming at you, the CWC, the Conservative Wrestling Coalition. You know, I like to throw little tests out to our friends to see if they actually listen to the entire show. So this is going to be the challenge to I, the, I like this. the Andrew Bello. I think this is NXT needs to go to the next level. And I want to get together. I want to do a show with the Andrew Bello previewing TakeOver Brooklyn. We are the two... Uh, Hamian Media NXT nerds. He claims to have a PhD in NXT. Well, that's fine, young man. You can call me the doctor. I will take no, that on, little motherfucker you know, to hey, school. That was Billy. That was Billy Ray Valentine. No, and he is such a wordsmith, man. And you should probably yell at me for not coming on with that one. But you know, Billy Ray, he's he's got that heart and soul from the city, man. He knows how to that rap and game, how to throw that shit out there, man. I'm just a Midwest motherfucker, and all you are to me. Is Michael Jargo the only fucker in the know when it comes to the yellow show? I like it. The only motherfucker in the know when it comes to the yellow show. Suck on that, the Andrew Bello. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya. Crunch your fingers. Label me. I don't give a f- I'll be your bad guy. Just run!
shame You'll be trapping the blame on me I smell self-righteousness That's the bad guy Go! Violet! 